This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Coming up, director Todd Haynes has received a lot of acclaim for films like I'm Not There, Safe, and Far From Heaven. His new film is Carol, and it's also winning Rays. Updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hey, it's Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Today my guest is director Todd Haynes. He has a new movie out called Carol. Todd, thanks for joining the broadcast. Sure, Chris. My pleasure. Hey, Carol is about two women who fall in love in the 1950s. When did you first hear about this story, and what about it really spoke to you? Uh, well, I first heard rumors of it floating around out there um, through Sandy Powell, who is my costume designer and who does amazing work on the film, and this is the third film we've done together. Um, but it was Elizabeth Carlson, the British-based producer, who had sort of breathed new life into this project that had been trying to get off the ground for some time. Um, Carol, our film, is based on... Patricia Highsmith's second novel called The Price of Salt. And that novel in and of itself has a very storied history and following among lesbian readers of the mid-century. It was published in 52 under a pseudonym, but became enormously popular. Um, And of course, she's a brilliant writer known for her you know, thrillers and crime novels. Um, and this is unlike anything else she had written. But so when it finally came to me, Kate Blanchett was already attached to play the lead role, Carol, the title role. And, and they, you know, it was a really um, attractive, you know, proposition, man. It was like hard to say no to. Now, in the book version of Carol, in the afterwards, Patricia Highsmith writes this. He says, Prior to this book, homosexuals, male and female in American novels, had to pay for their deviation by cutting their wrists, drowning themselves in a swimming pool, or by switching to heterosexuality, or by collapsing alone and miserable and shunned into a depression equal to hell. How important was it for you that this movie and the book it's based on have this hopeful quality to them? Um... Well, I sort of hoped it would end like that. No, I'm kidding. Um, it, you know, look, that that had been a way that um, it was almost like the pact that you had to make with your publisher to get a piece of writing um, into print, um, where there had to be a kind of punitive or punishing ending to to show that the characters had paid the co- the cost for their for their transgressions. And, you know, and this did distinguish The Price of Salt from its predecessors. Um, You know, what's really lovely about the book, and it's something that we brought into the film, is you don't really know what's going to happen after uh, the story ends with Carol and Therese, the two central characters. You've just watched them go through some very complicated steps and you know, definitely seen the kind of wear and tear of this relationship on their lives. Um, and so when they, you know, when they sort of re, without giving too much away, when they sort of um, reassess the meaning of this relationship, 
in each of their lives uh, in their own way. They've learned a lot. and They've changed a lot. And it sort of puts them on solid ground in some ways for the first time in the story. So it's a very interesting ending full of almost a sense of reality um, that now real life can, could, could possibly begin for these, for these two women. And I also find it interesting that certain directors have go-to actors they turn to again and again, whether it's Alfred Hitchcock or, um, or Woody Allen or David O. Russell. And you've you know, worked with Julianne Moore a couple times, and now you've worked with Kate Blanchett before, and I'm not there, and now you're working with her again in Carol. What is the attraction to working with this, some of the same actors repeatedly? And specifically, what about Kate Blanchett really kind of draws you to her work and, and working with her? Well, you know, I'm just, I am a, a, an extremely fortunate director in that I've been living in these years and making films that have attracted some extraordinary talent. And that did begin most notedly with Julianne in my second feature, Safe, um, which she delivers, you know, still one of the the most startling performances of any film I've made. And um, Kate Blanchett, I've been, uh, you know, astounded by her work over the years. But I had to kind of convince her that <laughs> this could work. Uh, I knew I knew it would. I really, really, truly knew it would. What I didn't know is that she would also bring... I, 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 I knew she could bring the physicality to it and the visual transformation to it, but she brought so much more than that. Well, and that's really what she's about. She just works at so many levels and I think um, is effective as a performer on screen in so many levels, very, very um, granular and, and then also very, very um, spectral and, you know, about the, her body, what she does with her body and her voice and her look each time, but also very, very subtle and understated at the same time. Well, we're going to pause for a second and be right back with more from director Todd Haynes. Cutting through the clutter to bring you the people and stories that matter to you. WSJ Podcasts. Sound ideas. Now, updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hi, I'm Christopher John Farley, senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. We're back with Todd Haynes talking about his new movie, Carol. Now, Carol's been winning big at some of the postseason awards at got honored by the New York Film Critics Circle, um, Best Film, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography. One thing I wonder, though, is how do you feel about sort of award seasons, the way a lot of the really good films get all packed to the end of the year, and it's sort of difficult sometimes for ordinary filmgoers to find the time to go out and see them all. Do you worry about that as a filmmaker? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you have to have faith in your distributor or feel like there's a real discussion and your views are, can be heard and your, you know, concerns are, are, are listened to and then they tell you why they're doing what they're doing. And in the case of Carol, this is the third time I've worked with Harvey Weinstein um, currently in his company, the Weinstein Company, uh, distributing a movie. He, of course, started Miramax years ago and that was one of the first uh, companies that that, well, that was the first time I worked with Harvey when, when he was still at Miramax, and he distributed my film Velvet Goldmine. But, um, but Harvey really believes in Carol, and so he has a plan, and he has his, you know, he wants to really develop 
um, you know, a slow burn um, impact on on the the market and um, use use cri- the very very strong and consistent critical reactions we've gotten for the film and ha- let them build and ho- hopefully that generates word of mouth. I mean, it's always a crapshoot. You never really know, and people start following patterns that worked last time around. You know, <laughs> and that's why I think there's this sort of you know, crowded field getting later and later in the season. And I do think that would be um, dizzying for, for, you know, theater goers. Because let's face it, for me, I'm I'm mostly interested in just getting people into the theaters to see Carol. I think it's a film that, like probably most directors feel this way. It's a film that really, really works on the big screen. and, And we shot it on Super 16 millimeter. So it's about the sort of grain of the celluloid experience and the music is this beautiful score by Carter Burwell and the, the images, it sort of transports you into another time. And I just think the impact of that is just much more powerful in the big screen experience. So, so I'm, I'm willing to, you know, I, I'm really um, trying to do as much as I can for the film and do what they tell me to do. <laughs> Um, just so people, you know, go to the theater because that, cause that's a less less practiced uh, way that we watch movies these days. Now, the film is set in 50s New York, but you filmed it in Cincinnati, Ohio. What did you do to sort of make that city a stand-in for Manhattan? We really did have a very limited budget for Carol. And uh, we looked at Cleveland, and there's great stuff in Cleveland, but it wasn't until we found, you know, went to Cincinnati, and I'd been there once before, but it had been about, God, like, you know, 15 years almost that I'd last been in Cincinnati. But a lot of Cincinnati has has not changed a lot. It's really retained its, its sort of beautiful architecture and, and a, sense of the his, a sense of history in the past, unlike New York City of today, <clears throat> which we just couldn't afford to bring back to the way it looked in the early 1950s from the research that we were that we were referring to um so it was fantastic we just had such a great experience there and the actors loved it and my production designer judy becker loved it of course because it there was so much raw material there that that we could use ed lockman the dp we just all really it was almost became our little back lot, you know, where we could create our own vision of this time, which exists nowhere, um, and make it in Cincinnati. And, and the people there were fantastic, and they were the extras in the film look like more somehow they just look different from, from Union Extras and other movies. And, you know, we just got great production value there. Now, of course, you've directed a lot of critically acclaimed films beyond Carol, you know, I'm Not There, Far From Heaven, Velvet Goldmine, Safe, Poison. But your breakthrough film really was Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, where you told the story of Karen Carpenter using her music and using Barbie dolls as a characters. Um, when you look back on that film, well, what did that teach you about making films, about marketing films, about your art? Well, that film was, you know, will always occupy a very special place for me um, because it was the first film really of mine that ever got shown anywhere, for, for first of all, and that was a big deal at the time in 1987, 88, and, um, but it was also, 
like a lot, like I still consider a lot of my feature films a real experiment and um, a sort of experiment in, in the narrative experience. And, but one that I f- feel always is looking for the ways that audiences put themselves into the story and make the story come to life if you give them certain you know, tools and follow a language that's familiar or that triggers expectations or investment, you know. Now, it was pulled from circulation after a copyright infringement lawsuit. Do you think it'll ever be above ground again where people can see it regularly in... Well, it's, you know, I did like what a lot of quote-unquote guerrilla filmmakers, you know, first-time filmmakers, student filmmakers do, which is use music, the music rights without permission because I, I had no real resources. And I also had you know, expectations that it would really have the kind of life that it ultimately had. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so really that lies in the hands of the <clears throat> people who own that, um, those master recordings. Um, which is, you know, pretty much still in the hands of Richard Carpenter, her brother, who's a survivor. Um, and we've tried over the years to, you know, see if Richard Carpenter would, would let us show the film and release the film or, you know. Um, and they did have a, they maintained a caveat that I could show the film to the press in relationship to my other work, and that was very, that has been meaningful to me because it does relate to my, other films <clears throat> and, and journalists really care about the movie and um, have a, have strong feelings for a superstar. So, so who knows? Maybe someday he will feel that it's that enough time has passed that it could be revealed to more people. So, fans of your work that want to see that film should become journalists and then interview you, and then they'll get to watch <laughs> that too. There you, there you go, and that just keeps fueling the industry of journalism, which is suffering. So well, come on. That's, that's a great idea. Thing. You're helping our industry while also promoting your work. Excellent job. So what's next for you? You're working on an adaptation of Wonderstruck? I am. I am. Um, Wonderstruck, it, is, uh, the, Wonderstruck is the novel by Brian Selznick, that, uh, the graphic novel that he wrote and illustrated following Hugo Cabret, which Scorsese turned into the beautiful film Hugo. Um, And this is another film sort of carried by young people and exploring the history and the past of a a city, and in this case, New York City. Um, Hugo was about sort of a love poem to Paris. so it's really exciting. I really, I'm really, we're, we're, we will be shooting, I think, in New York this time because there's certain New York institutions that are that figure prominently in the story. But uh, yeah, it's never, I've never done this particular kind of thing before, a, a film driven, um, sort of aimed at younger audiences. But that, so that should be really fun. Well, Todd Haynes, the film is Carol. Thanks a lot for joining us, The Wall Street Journal. Thanks so much. Pleasure talking to you. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.